here's a fun fact. And I love starting episodes with fun facts because that means tangent time. So, you know that sound that goes with NBC, like the chime? Doo-doo-doo. It's just three, four notes, whatever it happens to be. You hear it, like, with the more you know. And, or that sound that you get with the BBC where it's just that little buzz or beep. Those don't seem to make a lot of sense anymore. Like, why do we have them? But in the beginning, those had a very valid purpose. And by the beginning, I'm talking about in the analog era that was radio in the 1920s and 30s. Those noises, those chimes, those sounds covered up a change between one program and another. And without them, it would have been a real clunky, like, click, click, that you actually heard different changes being physically made in machinery. So in order to cover up that unpleasant noise, we, the world, created these wonderful little chimes. And they now exist in whatever type of situation that they exist now is kind of a throwback to what used to be. Why in the name of God do I bring that up? Well, I was thinking about right when I pushed the record button, you know, and I was going to say right then and there, at the moment that I hit this record button or at the moment that I had just hit that record button, but this is all done digitally, so it doesn't like make a dink dink sound, but whatever. At the moment that I hit the record button on this, it is 6.09 p.m. East Coast time in the United States. For our friends and fans in Wellington, New Zealand, I think it's like one o'clock in the afternoon on the next day. So that's December 15th. Today is December 14th here in the United States. So it is officially just a couple hours before this episode airs at midnight Eastern time. Why do I bring that up? I bring it up because so much seems to be happening in American bike racing so rapidly and so quickly over the last couple of days that I need to timestamp these things. I need to actually say when this work is being done for reasons that I wasn't really fully aware of. Maybe we were prescient when we first did this recording of this episode last week, but we all kind of agreed that it was a necessary thing for us to timestamp when we were actually doing the recording last Thursday evening here in the United States. And since that time, since last Thursday, so many stories have popped up that we didn't even dream of covering at the time that the episode was recorded. So, for example, the CEO of USA Cycling has announced that he is resigning and taking up a position with a pillow manufacturer as a CEO. There was the appearance of a hate group, a transphobic hate group, at the U.S. Cyclocross National Championship at Cantini Park, which is a terrible story, and I hate the fact that it happened. And also the National Association of Professional Race Directors held their annual meeting in California, I believe it was, at the exact same time as Cyclocross Nationals happened. Stories have leaked out from that meeting about what is potentially going to happen in 2022 and what the plans are for beyond that. But right now we don't have anything to confirm those stories, so we're not going to cover that. 
We brought up a timestamp in the original episode when we recorded this on Thursday night because of, or largely because of, the ongoing story that involved Olivia Ray and the Into the Lion's Den payment that she had not received, despite the fact that the event was over a month in the past. That story has continued to evolve. Our friends over at the Slow Ride podcast did a exceptionally good job of covering a lot of the details of the story in their episode that aired a few days ago. So please go there, check out what they say in their episode. I don't really want to repeat all of the work that they did because it just is just cumulative and it really doesn't mesh with the kind of tone that Celine, Allen, and I wanted to take in this episode, which was more of a retrospective, a lighthearted retrospective. We didn't want to deal with a lot of the angst and anger and frustrations that spiraled out of this story about non-payment and more so about the response to Olivia Ray's initial tweet by folks who are associated with Legion of Los Angeles and Into the Lion's Den. It was regrettably quite a tone-deaf response by certain people, but as the social media world will often attest to, the response to the response was equally unpleasant and equally potentially tone-deaf. That is the nature of social media. It is an echo chamber where things accelerate and expand beyond what they actually should be. I spoke with Olivia Ray shortly after her tweet and in the days that have since come by. She was very frank and honest with me about why she did what she did and, and when she did it. Unfortunately, I'm not going to speak about those things because she didn't want me to. But I can also tell you that, you know, a lot of you may have seen the exchange between Ty Magner and myself on Twitter in which we exchanged rather pointed words at each other. But what you didn't see was the discussion that Ty and I had offline in which we drew back on that rhetoric, in which we dialed back the blood boiling temperature and tried to discuss things calmly and rationally between each other. We haven't been able to have a substantive conversation, but he knows anytime he wants, he can give me a call and talk to me because that's that's what's supposed to happen. You're not supposed to trade barbs on social media, or at least trading barbs on social media is not going to get done what needs to get done, which is to actually make progress. There's a lot that we can learn from what's happened this year, good and bad. There's a lot that we can learn from something as simple and innocuous as crit beef. Something that started as just kind of a comic, funny little thing spiraled into something that was more and more and more out of control. There is good that comes from bringing a little bit of controversy and a little bit of, I don't know what the right word might be, exposure probably to an issue. But then once it becomes fake accounts and hate accounts and second accounts and anonymous accounts, that's where it kind of gets out of hand. And that's where, unfortunately, the Olivia Ray Into the Lion's Den story quickly went into. It just needs to stop. It, it really, really does. We need to assess what we did in the past, 
look at it and say, does this continue to work for us? Does the fact that riders and racers need to wait months, if not years, to get paid for professional races that they did as a professional athlete, if that is the standard by which we are judging the success of our industry and the success of our sport, then it is not a success. Riders deserve to be paid at the time that their services are rendered. Remember, these are professionals. These are professional races. These are professional teams. I'm not saying that you have to pay them right then and there that very day. I'm saying that reasonable expectations need to be set for when payment would happen. It can't be just a we'll get to it when we get to it sort of thing because then that puts those people who are most at risk even more so at risk. The people who have no bargaining power, the individual racers who just are doing what they can to do their job as a racer, they don't have a voice speaking for them as a collective. And that's something we talk about in this episode. That's something that we think is important moving forward is riders, teams, all the people involved with being at the race need to come together and need to speak in a firm and collective tone. One voice, many people, progress can be made. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows, wideanglepodium.com. It is the only top-tier collective of independent cycling media in the world. And we would love for you to become a member of that community. So go to wideanglepodium.com, look at all the shows that are available, and when you find what you like, click subscribe, become a member, and help financially support this show and all the other shows like Slow Ride Podcast, Nowhere Fast, Cyclocross Radio, and The Grodio. We would very, very much appreciate that. This week, we are brought to you by the Echelon Racing League. EchelonRacingLeague.com is its home on the internet. This is a first-of-its-kind, truly unique league experience in the virtual bike racing world. It is designed to bring together in-real-life races in real life racers in a virtual form so that we can enjoy those events throughout the entire course of the year. It is designed to fill our need for being athletes at points in time in the season where going outside might not be the best idea, whether it be rain or snow or just flat out cold. It's not always the best time in the Northern Hemisphere right now to race your bike outside. Sometimes you just can't do it. The Echelon Racing League is a division of the Project Echelon Veterans Nonprofit. 22% of all profits go to support the Project Echelon mission, which is to equip, empower, and educate veterans to help them live more and complete lives. There is a pro events calendar available on the webpage that will list all of the different races and the scoring and all of it that you need to know. So far, we've held the IndyCrit and Tour of America's Dairylands. The Gateway Cup is up this week on December 18th, followed by the Iron Horse Bicycle Classic and Tour of the Gila in early January. Are you seeing a trend? These are all 
real life races that a lot of us have raced and many of us love. It is a combination between Echelon Racing and RGT. So that is the host that does these events. The riding is realistic. The feel is realistic. The broadcasting is realistic because it uses real broadcasters like Brad Soner and Lauren Hall. I think that if anything comes out of this, that is as positive as the way that these events are being covered from a broadcaster's perspective, that that is the thing we should hopefully take away and give to the in real life races. Because the way that Brad and Lauren are doing this really brings these events to life. And if you think these events are not nearly as challenging as the in real life versions of those, just check out Eric Hill's Instagram post where he compares his effort in the virtual race with his effort in the real life race. You will be shocked to see how similar those two are and how hard it actually is to race these races. So go to echelonracingleague.com to find out more about the series. And as a matter of transparency, while we're talking about Echelon, I want to make it 100% transparent that next year I will be occasionally representing Project Echelon in master's races across the country when I'm not here in Washington, D.C. on my own club. This is a thing that started last uh, fall with conversations that I was having with Joe Carpasassi and Eric Hill and Frank Cundiff about going to Project Echelon Team Camp in the spring of this year and covering that from an inside perspective, kind of getting a sense of how the team prepares and what they're looking forward to in this year. And it's just an idea that branched off of that, where I get to learn from people like Joe and John Hamblin and all of the other people who are a part of that team. If you don't know who Joe Carpasassi is, you're going to get to know him this year. Joe is one of the guys who've, who's been around the sport for decades. He is one of the directors with Project Echelon. He's been a director for multiple top quality teams like Smart Stop, and he has knowledge of what our history is. It's so critical to remember where we came from because what is past is precedent. What is past is future. If we don't learn from the past, we will fail to learn anything. I know that's a terrible paraphrase of an old adage, but Joe's going to be with me on a couple of episodes, hopefully next year, where he helps provide context for what is going on in the current world by reminding us of our past and helping to push us forward into the future. I'm very excited about all the work that's going to come next year. Next year is going to be the next time for us. This is the last episode of the season. We will be taking a break after this episode is done, probably until March. Got a lot of real life work that needs to get done. Got to get in shape because apparently I'm going to Project Echelon's team camp and I don't want to get dropped by Zach Gregg again. But I'm going to use this time, Celine and Alan are going to use this time to come up with new and creative things for you guys so that we can make 2022 an even better experience in a better year. So if you've got some ideas, you've got potential guests, hit us up. CriteriumNation at gmail.com is our email account. Send us a message there. Let us know what you think. So Celine, Alan, myself, we are breaking down what happened in 2021. We're giving you a retrospective of the year, and we're doing that right now.
it is critical to note that that today's date is December 9th, 2021. So much has happened in the bike racing world in the last 48 hours or the last week that we don't know what's going to happen in the next three or four days before we finish editing this episode, much less putting it out. If, if the world turns upside down yet again in the next five or six days, we apologize. But Alan, Celine, and I are here to do a retrospective, a lighthearted retrospective of this year and what has happened and what we loved about 2021. There's been so many good storylines that have happened here in the last 12 months that it's going to be hard to capture all of these things. But there are a lot of things that have happened this year that have not been terribly positive, but maybe have positive potential outcomes as a result of them. So we'll talk about those as well. But, but, but first and foremost, before we go one inch further, Celine, how are you doing out in the desert? Um, I'm thriving here. I love it so much. Give everybody kind of a preview. Where are you? What are you doing? Um, I'm in Tucson at the Homestretch Foundation, and I'm just uh, here living and training. If you haven't heard of the Homestretch Foundation, I highly encourage you to go to their website and look into it. It is a nonprofit founded by Catherine Bertine to help offset some of the pay inequalities for the women's Peloton. It is a housing setup for both female and male cyclists, but predominantly female cyclists to give us a bit more of an opportunity to, uh, yeah, train, minimize our life expenses. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. (laughs) So it gives you an opportunity as a stretchy to stretch your wings. (laughs) Good one. And Michael (laughs) Bodekheimer isn't even here. That's awesome. (laughs) Alan, how is the nomadic life of of the man from Boise? Yeah, uh, still nomadic, I suppose. I've been in Boise for some time. However, I am still homeless. (laughs) Uh, Just, you know, staying with friends, making it work. But yeah, it's not quite Tucson desert weather here, but it's still, it's nice and it's been good getting back to riding. So each point that we're going to bring up here for this episode is what we liked, what we liked about 2021. For example, and this is just an example to start us off. One of the things that I liked about 2021 is getting a up close and personal instruction manual on proper cycling kit laundering from Alan Schroeder. (laughs) So if you don't, but if you don't know this, we do these on Zoom and every, almost every episode this year, Alan's laundry has been hanging in the background. So there is always CS Velo kit in the background. (laughs) And tonight is no different. Thank you, Alan, for being and remaining so on brand. I mean, that's just a uh, product placement for Pactimo. But also, if you're putting your cycling kit in the dryer, I'm sorry, but you're doing it wrong. You got to hang it up. Let that air dry. It's the only option. One of the things that we did not do enough of, we talked about it, eh, you know, like towards the beginning of the year, but we didn't do enough about it. 
as a public thing, but we definitely did a lot about it in private. And I know Alan was the the champion about this. One of the things that we liked about 2021 was hashtag Criterium Coffee. Alan, can you fill everybody in on Criterium Coffee? Oh man, where to even start? I feel like it kind of started as a little bit of a joke, maybe, that uh, I took way too seriously because of my affinity for coffee. But the idea is just that, you know, we travel a lot for these races and drinking coffee before the race is a huge part of the whole race experience, if you will. So we just want to give some people some insight on uh, what coffee shops to go to when they're in town for races. We need a more definitive list here. Celine, you actually put together a bit of a list of some of your faves, personal faves of the, the coffee culture. I mean, the whole point is that as a crit racer and especially as an elite crit racer, a lot of your races are at night or towards the end of the day, which gives you quite a bit of free time in the morning. You wake up, you do the the coffee spin, you ride for like a few minutes and then go to the coffee shop. You sit at the coffee shop, look really, really super cool in your team kit, drink your coffee, then spin a little bit more. And then you sit there at the host house on their Wi-Fi until race time. What were some of the best coffee places, Celine, for you in 2021? I already know that Alan is going to be salty about this list because I didn't get a chance to go to Necker. Um, so Necker is not on my list, but it'll get an honorable mention just because of how much Alan talks about it. But my list includes Public and Three Cups in Salt Lake City. Both of those were excellent. Um, Three Cups had this really extravagant summer coffee tonic, like espresso and grapefruit juice and all sorts of things in it. And it sounds like it would taste bad, but it was actually kind of mind blowing. It was my first experience with a coffee tonic. And Fort Collins, Mugs was a heavily frequented coffee shop to the point that they started to recognize me. And They have 50% off breakfast burritos after noon. So major deal there for anyone who's ever in Fort Collins. El Paso has a district coffee, which is actually like right off the course. And they've got some really fun like toasts in addition to just some like pretty solid coffee beverages. So that's my list. Because I think this all started with Double Shot in... Tulsa, where a lot of the bike racers go before Tulsa's races. It's a kind of a neat, you know, two stories, two floors to sit on type place. And when I was there for Tulsa, it was like kind of like holding shop. You would just walk around from table to table to table to table. And there's always these different bike racers who were there. You know, Alan, you brought up Necker, obviously the best coffee shop in all of Boise, Idaho. What were some of the other ones that you really loved during the course of this year? Well, so I just went to my Twitter page uh, to try and remind myself of the places that we had gone all year. So if you want a definitive list, go, I guess, either find me on Twitter or follow the hashtag, hashtag Criterium Coffee. Um, Let's see what we got here. A Thousand Faces is where we went before Athens. uh, And that was an excellent coffee stop. Um, yeah, could not recommend that one enough. 
Where was it? Where did we go for Winston-Salem? There was a, a small coffee shop in downtown Winston-Salem that was quite nice. Celine, do you remember the name of that place? Uh, I don't, but I can find out and then you can tweet about it. <laughs> yeah, but to be sure, Necker uh, is at the top of that that top 10 list. And I mean, so many people in bike racing are part of coffee as a whole. I mean, Davey, the flying mustache Dawson, Griffin Coffee, that's his company. Uh, the wonderful Grimpoor Brothers Coffee that does so much to support the wide angle podium. I just realized I forgot the best one. Oh, you can't forget the best. Yeah, well, this one wasn't a crit stop. Deeper Roots Coffee in Cincinnati is easily the best coffee I've ever had in my entire life. Hands down. You can't just throw that out without getting the question, why? Well, so their coffee, I don't even know how to describe it, but like the pour over, you can taste all of the flavors that are listed, which I've never experienced before. It's always been like chocolate, cherry hints, but it all tastes the same. But at Deeper Roots, you can actually taste the accents that they have on the on the label and then they had this cortado with maple syrup and it was amazing. Initially I was nervous it'd be too sweet, but it was like just the right amount. They do everything just right. And then I think there was what was it? Like a honey lavender latte and that also was just like insane. So good. Highly recommend it. Worth traveling to Cincinnati for. <laughs> And I thought since he was just good for Skyline Chili, now we got much more to go there for. Let's talk about something a little bit different, but it's kind of a segue bridge what we got going on here. You know, 2020 just didn't happen. A couple of us got the opportunity to raise some things early in the year, maybe, or travel for a team camp or something like that. But then that was locked down. You know, we weren't going anyplace. But 2021 gave us that opportunity to get out and to travel and to go to these races. So, you know, one of the things that made us happy, one of the things that we liked about 2021, before we dial into specific things, is just the idea of not having to stay home anymore, to be able to get together with the men and women who are a part of our team and our colleagues and, you know, the people that we race with and are friends with on different teams. Celine, you had on, on your list in the green room quite a number of cool things that you got to go to and see and cool experiences that you got to have by, because you were allowed to get out from beyond your house. Can you kind of talk to us a little bit about some of those? Uh, most of my life, I haven't traveled the U.S. very much. So getting to travel and spend a few days in all of these locations and just explore a little bit was really special. And then getting to share that with people um, and not just uh, doing it by myself was also really, really cool. I guess some of the highlights. So the day after Boise Twilight, we all got to bed like really late because it was a night crit and we were all just super energized. And there was actually a, a party, like a little pool party so the next day we wanted to ride Bogus and it was going to be pretty hot. So we got up early to ride it after having gone to sleep at like 2 a.m. And those of you who know me know that I don't do well on four hours of sleep. But just getting to ride Bogus with my teammates. Yeah, that was super special. And then the descent, um, I followed Kristen 
down the descent and that was really magical. I've never done like a 16 mile climb before. So yeah, getting to share that with my teammates was really, really cool way to end the Boise trip. And then we all kind of went to Salt Lake City after that for a little bit. And it was kind of a nice to have a few days to get used to Salt Lake and do some exploring. So we rode up to Guardsman Pass. That was crazy. Like it goes up to about 10,000 feet and the views up there are um, really, really breathtaking. Is that an elevation joke? (laughs) It is. (laughs) Yeah. And then I don't know, we went to Fort Collins for a little bit and that was between Salt Lake and Littleton. So it was really cool getting to explore Fort Collins. And I almost just stayed there. I was like, why leave? And then Greensboro, I was like, how can Colorado be topped after just spending some time there? But we went to Greensboro before Speed Week and our hosts were really cool um, and showed us Paris Mountain and just some other like really neat places out there. And it's actually like, yeah, I'm very impressed, um, which is difficult to do after being in Colorado for nearly a month. You might get you might get some hate mail here, Celine. <laughs> Why is that? Because you're talking about Greenville. <laughs> oh, shoot. Oh, no. Green- Greensboro's <laughs> in North Carolina. Greenville, that's where Paris Mountain is. Oh no! Uh, we can just <laughs> no. blame. No, you gotta blame. <laughs> can I start over? <laughs> She's not from around there. <laughs> Green Greenville. You know, we're just gonna blame the caffeine crash for that one. Yeah, Greenville was rad. I'm sorry that I messed that up. I think I flew into Greensboro at one point during the summer. There's a lot of travel. So there's a lot that kind of just blurs together. But but like yeah. My apologies to the Greenville people. (laughs) When I've been when I've been traveling a lot for work, I have definitely gotten off an airplane and had to go and look at the board to realize where I had just landed. Yeah, because I'm clearly not paying attention to that pilot when he or she says, welcome to whatever. It's 35 degrees here. You're like, "Okay, whatever. Cool. Let's just get off the plane. Alan, you first year out with CS Velo, meeting the new guys, doing fun stuff. You got some good stories about the road too, don't you? It was all great, I guess, if <laughs> to like really sum up, you know, four months worth of traveling and racing. It's just being on a team like that, I guess, is something that I had been working toward for the last two or three years. And it felt like maybe something was going to happen in 2020. And then when that whole year got shut down, everything was real uncertain. It felt like maybe just nothing was going to happen. And I would be stuck racing in the Northwest for my whole life. Um, yeah, so I, I personally was just really excited to get the the 2021 season going. And like Celine talked about, just getting to go to all these different places was, I don't know, I guess everything that I hoped it would be. Um, for some reason, coming back to Boise Twilight felt a little extra special. Being on kind of this larger team and having a team with me when I was there, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what it was, but it just felt that much cooler. Yeah, and it was really, I don't know, I guess just getting to experience those races with a group of guys weekend after weekend, you really have the opportunity to like grow together and learn a lot about them and just like, I don't know, 
without being too cliche, I guess, like Bond, you know? Uh, yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun. It's very, it's a very unique thing, I think, in in sport in general, even. It's something that I can tell you that I have been missing more than I thought that I had been missing it during the course of the pandemic. And this might be sappy, whatever. I don't care. I was in October, I got the opportunity to go down to Pensacola, Florida to be a part of a trial in Pensacola. And I was working with some people from the United States Navy. And after the trial was over, we went over to Naval Air Station Pensacola, the birthplace or the cradle of naval aviation. There's an incredible naval aviation museum there on the on the base. So if you get a chance to go, go see that. It's well worth it. But I was a guest at the officers club on Naval Air Station Pensacola one Friday night. And it was what they call Flight Suit Friday. Naval Air Station Pensacola is basically like the biggest training ground for a variety of different programs within the United States Navy, from mechanics to air traffic controllers to actual pilots. Flight Suit Friday is the first day that the new trainee class gets to wear their flight suits. It is the first time that they get to don this uniform that they all just like... I swear they might as well tattoo it on their bodies because they love it. They live in these things. You see them all over the community. And so it's like a huge honor for them to get to wear it. So we're at Mustangs, which is the officer's club there. There are mugs all over the place with really, really cliche, wonderful slogans on them. The the Jag Corps one was right over my shoulder at one point in time, and you can bet your bottom dollar that it had something with you can't handle the truth written on it, but it was just the holder for their mugs. And as a guest at, at the, at the officer's club there, there's obviously going to be drinks bought for you, but there were also drinks being bought for the new class of trainees. And just being an outsider watching these 23, 24, 25 year old young men and women you know, get the opportunity to put these flight suits on that they've worked for the last 10, 12 months of their life to get and to see that bonding that they have, that camaraderie that they have, that love that they have for each other because they've shared so much suffering. They've shared so many hard days, long hours, trying conditions. It's just really like, it's, it's amazingly heartfelt. And seeing you guys, you know, because I got to go to a lot of the races this year. I got to see how the Wolfpack women got together before Tulsa and talked and shared emotions and plans. I got to see, you know, the CS Velo guys in a variety of different situations, including over dinner at at, at the uh, wonderful Gleason McClure residence in Baltimore. You know, I got to see how much you guys actually genuinely care and love each other. And it's just it's just it's just beyond words. And so, like, having that opportunity to do that again after a period of time where we were all apart and after dealing with all of the nonsense and garbage that we had to deal with in 2020 and had to deal with, you know, with with divisiveness in society to see people just being together like this is is wonderful. So what I liked was all of you guys being close with all of your teammates. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, while we're all in it to go to these races and compete at these races, I think what makes it worth it, and again, this is going to sound real corny, but uh, is getting to do, you know, the, the, the weeks in between the races, like between Boise and SLC and then Salt Lake City and that and Littleton, just getting to spend that time training with your teammates is, I mean, the races are always wild, but that's like the kind of stuff that you'll remember, I think. Or at least that I will. So let's talk about one thing, one name that I'm going to throw out there that I think stands for something that I really liked this year. Dr. Stephen Vogel. We all know Dr. Vogel, Project Echelon. He won day two of the Armed Forces Cycling Classic, and he did it in a way that anybody who was there will not forget because he broke away solo style and had, you know, a solo run for 12, 13 laps right there at the end after, you know, close to 90 some odd kilometers of racing and in 110 degree heat. But the part that I liked the most about this is that he miscounted the laps and posted up with one lap to go. Oh, no. He had the wherewithal to realize that he had made the mistake go around again and finish and win. It was a little bit closer than it needed to be, but he got he got the win. And when he crossed the line the second time and actually had won the race, he was very self-deprecating about it. At six foot five, somebody being self-deprecating is is kind of uh, you know an interesting experience. But what I liked about what Dr. Vogel did and what Dr. Vogel stands for is those racers who this year were unafraid to take a chance. They were unafraid to get off the front to try to win the race rather than just trying to be a part of the race. And there are a lot of men and women who did that this year who didn't end up being as fortunate as Project Echelon's Stephen Vogel. You know, there are a lot of people who took a shot, just couldn't do it. And those are the people that I think we should, you know, spend a few moments celebrating. So let's, you know, if we could think of a few names, you know, George Simpson, obviously, is is one of them. He did eventually end up winning at Joe Martin in a two-up breakaway with Sean Guidish, but George took a shot at Boise. So did Cade and Scott McGill from AE Volo. There was all of Fount Cycling at the U.S. Pro Crit Championships, those women attacked again and again and again and again and again, and they just kept throwing themselves off the front. You know, Celine, your teammate, Julie Kalitza, she definitely spent a lot of time on the front going after the lap leader's jersey that she ultimately won. You've got Michael Hernandez, Connor Saley, Spencer Movenzade. You've got all of these people who just weren't afraid to try to win a race. I loved it. I can think of another name as well. Um, I think I think Paige Kostanecki really found her groove this year. She, yeah, she found her happy place and she loves to gamble and she makes it fun to race for, for her, for her teammates, for all of us, because when she goes off the front, like she throws down and it's only a matter of time before she stays away. Yeah. I can't really think of a race where 
at like some point I didn't see that she was going off the front. Yeah, she really goes for it. And it's really cool to see. I know she had some difficulties in 2019 finding her groove. But then in 2020, she really fell in love with bikes again. And just in general, I think Paige is something I liked about 2021. And um, prior to that as well, but this year especially. Yeah, high quality human. There's There's another name that I think just because he's not been on a big team, you know, that we, we do overlook him just a wee bit, but like, it's hard to overlook Artem Schmidt. He's a junior and he just doesn't know when to quit. He will get into a breakaway and he will ride himself right out of the breakaway. If people don't back him, back him off a little bit, he's just such an attacking type rider, but he's got podiums this year. I remember one race that I really loved was the final day of Intelligentsia Cup. Speaking of great coffee, Intelligentsia. The Intelligentsia Cup last day down at Goose Island Brewery in Chicago. A large crowd for sure, especially for the men's and the women's race in the afternoon. And there was a group of five guys who got up the road in the men's race. I think it was five. Yeah. Two Legion. Monk, so Brandon Fury from Project Echelon, Artem Schmidt, and then I think it's Brian Lopez or Miguel, Brian Miguel from Destroy Cycling Club. Or was it Juan S. Juan Arango? One of those two guys was just, he had done the single speed race that was just before the women's race, which was only 75 minutes before the men's race. So he won the single speed race, if I remember correctly, and then gets into this five person breakaway. And you could just see him being like, oh my God, I am in way over my head, but I'm not quitting now. And you gotta love that. You do have to love that. He did not end up winning that breakaway. That was Brandon Fury from Project Echelon. But to know that the dude was there and it was not, a cool afternoon. It was really hot in Chicago. I was just going to make a comment about the fact that you're saying single speed when I feel like you meant fixed gear. <laughs> no, totally fixed gear. Totally fixed gear. Yep. You're a hundred percent right. Yeah. I mean, you love to see guys that are out there just for like the love of it. It's the same with cross races, what like people going out and doing the single speed race early in the day and then doubling back for the elites. Like you just gotta, just gotta love riding your bike to do that. If we're going to stick with the, like, I don't know, people that we appreciated for the year. I feel like we we are more than obligated and more than happy to give a shout out to Danny Estevez. In some ways, I feel like he's like what started this whole year off. Um, and yeah, I mean, I personally loved to see him, you know, win amateur nationals, get to wear, get to wear his U.S. champs jersey for the next year. Uh, and just really like, succeed and thrive on best buddies this year like that was pretty excellent after that just like flurry around him of him changing everything changing nothing whatever it is speaking of which did you guys think starting out this year when we started talking about this insane idea of of doing race coverage that crit beef was going to be the thing that it ended up being no i mean in some senses, no. I feel like there was the idea that maybe it was going to be real crit beefy through Tulsa and then it would just kind of fade away into, you know, the history of social media. But it seems like 
it just kind of kept coming back for one reason or another. Like it would pop back up and we'd have a whole new thing to talk about, a whole new crit beef to to discuss. Um, so I don't think anybody could have known what crit beef was going to turn into. I mean, part of it is, and Celine, agree with me or disagree with me. Tell me what you feel. Like part of what made crit beef or gravel beef, the gravel beef that followed it, you know, or pay O'Ray, you know, grow in the direction that it has grown and become bigger than whatever it was at the beginning, you know, is, is this influence of social media and especially Instagram. Like I adore the fact that I had to explain tonight to my wife that I simp a la Philippe is a meme account. It is not Julian Alaphilippe's actual Instagram account. And my wife is a pretty passionate bike racing fan. She she knows the names of all the characters. Having to explain to her that a meme account is out there and that there's a lot of them and that they have an influence in the sport is kind of interesting. This might receive some judgment, but I am not ashamed about my love for meme accounts. I think they're a great way to get get the hot goss. I think a lot of people actually use them as like a news outlet replacement, which I would not encourage. I think they're a great way to like be up to date on what's happening, but they're not necessarily based in fact. Uh, They're just there to poke fun at things that are happening. Um, And that's something that I appreciate because I'm not always paying attention. I tend to be a bit on the periphery. I don't really gravitate towards drama. But then when I see a meme account, I'm like, oh, what's going on? Maybe I should inform myself. And while we're on meme pages, actually, we did have a uh, submission from the Instagram uh, poll that Alan posted um, that something that made someone happy is the, quote, absolutely stunning and meteoric rise of at the office park crit. So that, that felt relevant to mention there. Alan, what is the at office park crit? I, I, I've seen it pop up there every once in a while, but like I never was really like into the office itself. So some of these, some of these memes are, I, and I know that you're a huge aficionado when it comes to, to mid 2000s TV shows. I mean, yeah, that's just objectively the best time for television, I would say. Um, but the office park crit is simply something that was creative created out of a love for the office and for cycling and for memes, I suppose. Um, so if you like any or all of those things, then it is your one-stop shop for just like excellent, funny things. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's great. There's a lot of really funny stuff on there, so I can only or just highly recommend people going to Instagram at the office park crit and scrolling through there for a little bit. I guarantee you, you will laugh at at least one of them. Do you know who runs the page? Whoever this person is, is a genius. I would use the word genius as well to describe this individual or multiple individuals. I mean, my, to my knowledge, it's a, it's a couple different guys, but yeah, I mean, couldn't agree more. I also happen to be on TikTok too. Oh no, you crossed the line. <laughs> I know. <laughs> There's a phenomenon out there called pirate talk. I don't know if you've seen this. No. 
I don't know how it ended up in my for you pages, but there it is. A bunch of people sing, singing, <laughs> singing sea shanties while dressed in pirate garb. That's it. There's pirate talk for you. Maybe a bagpipe gets thrown in there, too. Don't know how it ends up coming up on my TikTok, but by God, I'm going to watch it every single time, even though it's the same one. The algorithms know. Yeah, they know. They know. Since we talked about Dr. Stephen Vogel as one of the things that we liked this year, and because it is the week that it is, there's it, there's absolutely no way that we get around not talking about the Legion of Los Angeles into the lion's den, Olivia Ray news story. I want to avoid digging deep into this news story because we don't know a lot of the facts yet. A lot of this information is breaking as it's happening because it only started like a day or two ago. And so there's a lot of things that we think we know. And there's a lot of things that we could probably confirm if we did more investigative digging instead of trying to nail down time, date, place, you know, creating a timeline for everything and bringing the show in that direction. I thought we would stay away from that, but talk about a lesson that comes out of it. So one of the things that I liked, and I'm not going to put this on you guys, but I'm going to say me for sure, and you can join me later. But one of the things I liked this year was Olivia Ray for a variety of reasons. She's exciting to watch race. She is the person capable of making a race very interesting this year, especially when Skylar Schneider was such a dominating force. Olivia was there to counter that dominating force and create trouble and chaos within the race herself, bringing breaks back and attacking for preems. But one thing that comes out of this story is that with one tweet, she proved the vital importance of bike racers and teams collectively organizing with and among themselves to speak as a unified voice. She proved to us through her actions and the fallout and things that came from that, that being together, we can do so much more positively than being apart. I think we can see that on a few different levels. To me, it kind of shows that like people are are paying attention, you know, like I think we saw a pretty big increase, at least to me, it seems in people's interests in cycling and criterium racing this year in general. And they're paying attention to what's going on. So the fact that she made this statement and then had so much support, and I don't even want to call it a statement, but just a lot of support behind her is really a positive thing and nice to see. And then to like follow along with what you were saying about, you know, the need to be together as one solid unit. I think that sort of sensation is what brings a lot of people to cycling in the first place, you know, just through doing group rides and making connections that way. But also from a racing perspective, you know, after the fallout of USA crits as well, we have seen the creation of the NACT or the national association of cycling teams um, that is also something that's really fresh, really new, but I think will be really positive and useful next year and just in the growth of cycling in general. 
Um, and so the fact that all of these things are kind of happening at the same time, I don't think is a coincidence. I do want to point out the the NACT is a story that we are following. We know it exists. We know that it's growing. We also know it's not the only initiative that a team or group of teams have put together to unionize, collectively come together. And there is going to be ongoing discussion between these various groups about merging, working together, symbiosis, whatever it is that you want to talk about. But it's not a story that we're capable of talking about right now because the NACT doesn't have a lot of information out there about what its plans are. There's not a lot of originating documents, mission statements, things like that that are available that can be digested in membership lists, etc. There's information, uh, informational meetings, that is, that are planned in January. We will cover this as things become more concrete and as there are things to be reported. You know, we also know that Legion was interested in creating their own thing, too. A series of some variety. I don't know what's going to happen with that. They haven't spoken publicly about it. It's just rumor and innuendo right now, and we're not going to act on rumor and innuendo. But the idea of, whether it be through the NACT or other avenues, of teams pushing forward collectively to advocate on behalf of riders and teams as opposed to relying on a USA Cycling or a National Association of Professional Race Directors or anything else, you know, is a great first step. And of course, in the back of my mind, I'm sitting here going like, don't forget to mention the Cyclists Alliance. That's obviously an initiative that pre-existed all of this and has been doing great work for women's professional bike racing. If you don't know about it, go check it out. The cyclistalliance.org, I believe it is. So Celine, you've got some thoughts here. Please, please share with the group. In a lot of ways, I'm definitely still organizing my thoughts on a lot of the topics that we just raised, but in keeping with the spirit of this episode, the predominant things I like on this specific topic is the opportunity for change. And I think that's a really unique opportunity that American cycling is being presented with because I think a lot of European racing has such a long history. It's really stagnant when it comes to change, but some things that in many ways are a little bit stressful and I have a hard time appreciating the American cycling scene is a little bit volatile, but I also think that that provides a lot of opportunities for growth and change. And that's what we're seeing happening right now is examples of a lot of growing pains. And I think Legion does deserve a shout out for um, something that I like in terms of what they're doing for representation and what they're doing for bringing more viewership to the sport. Because as Alan said, like people are paying attention and I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that is a direct correlation to the rise of Legion and with the downfall of USA crits which in many ways could be pointed to as a necessary downfall, given a lot of the information coming out there. There's so much opportunity for things to be better, for cyclists to come together, for cyclists to communicate with the media, to communicate with promoters, um, for things to be exactly the way that we want them to be and the way that we deserve them to be. Yeah, I think you're exactly right that we're being... I don't want to say gifted by any means, but we're, we've been given this opportunity to sort of change and shape 
U.S. cycling to be what we want it to be, not what it was or what the European model is, but exactly to be what we want and what is going to serve, I guess, both the fans of the sport, but especially the riders, the ones who are, you know, going out there every weekend and and doing these races. And that's that's really exciting as far as I'm concerned. This is a great time in our sports history to rethink the things that we all accepted as tradition, to rethink the things that we just had to accept as a fact and say to ourselves, to our sport, to our community, no, we can do better. One of the things, one of the teams or one of the movements that I think has done something incredibly special, and this comes from a parking lot encounter. You got to love bike racing and parking lots, right? And it's like the quintessential bike racing thing. The only thing that could have made this better was if I had a cup of coffee and a donut and was sitting in the parking lot in Tulsa, Oklahoma that first night. When I got there, getting ready for my race, the guys from Alliance St. Louis were there, or the Alliance, a St. Louis bicycle racing collective were there. And we struck up a conversation, myself and Jonathan Hanahan, who is one of the leaders of this organization. And it's a very simple idea for a lot of us who are regional riders, riders who want to move to the next level, to move to the national level, who who want to get better. They end up going to a race like Tulsa, Toad, Intelligentsia, Sunny King, and they're by themselves in the Pro 1 or Pro 1-2 ranks. And all of a sudden, your life gets a lot weirder. You know, you're you're you got to stay in a hotel by yourself. You're looking for food and things by yourself. There's no host, real host housing for random dudes and random women at these bike races. That's easily available to you. And then when you get into the race, you're by yourself again. You notice this trend of being by yourself. And having done this personally, I can tell you for a fact, it's all really not a lot of fun to travel by yourself and to do it all alone. And so what the guys in St. Louis said is that, okay, when we race in St. Louis, we're going to race on our own teams, whatever they happen to be, we're going to race on our teams. But when we leave St. Louis, when we go to the big crits, when we go to the big races outside of the area, let's come together and collectively race together under one, you know, banner, one jersey, and we'll see what we can do to promote St. Louis as a bike racing location. We are going to promote all of us. And it's it's a very nascent program, and there's only a couple of guys who are part of it, but they're growing. And what I loved about it is how organic it was and how just simple the idea is. I love bike racing. You love bike racing. You're from the same city that I am. We're going to the same place. Let's do this together. And by the way, while we're doing this all together, let's build some connections between us so that when we do race locally, we're not just competitors anymore. We're colleagues. We're friends. Did you guys know anything about Alliance before I just brought them up? I had seen them at some races and there was a woman in Austin who raced for them. Um, She actually moved from St. Louis. So she told me a little bit about them. That's a very cool concept. I think it's something that can be easily applied to a lot of places. You know, it's 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 an idea that 
builds on this collective, not bargaining power, but collective leveraging of capacities. Alan, how cool would it be for you and Chris Stewart to occasionally ride together as Team Boise? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that'd be a lot of fun. The concept, I think, is something that we've had in Boise for a while. Every time we travel outside of Boise, we all sort of mingle together. We never do it in a, I guess, official capacity like that. But yeah, I think that, especially at, like you said, a regional level, that's something that would improve the road racing specifically experience for a lot of people. So it would be, yeah, it'd be really nice to see more cities kind of take up that idea. We're, we're right about the one hour mark here. So let's start to wrap this bad boy up and then we can go and toast champagne and, and celebrate the holidays and New Year's and all the fun things that come in January, right? Because January is an awesome month. It's almost as cool as February. Thank God February only has 28 days. Um, Let's talk about our personal favorite race experiences from this year. I know I'm catching you guys a little flat-footed. I promised in the green room that there would be some surprises here or there. And this is one of those surprises. Okay, well, I'm going to cheat because I have two. The first one being getting to do Pro Nats this year, specifically the road race, just because as uh, an older uh, elite cyclist, if you will, that is was or was one of my like biggest goals for cycling in general was to get to do the Pro Nats road race. Uh, yeah, so that was just really cool. I mean, the race didn't necessarily go great for me, but being there in Knoxville, getting to do that wacky course was top-notch experience. Um, as far as my favorite actual race was probably El Paso, actually, which is well, it's kind of shocking to me because it was like the one of the races that I wasn't even supposed to do at the beginning of the year. And certainly when I saw it on the calendar, I didn't think like, oh, yeah, man, I'm stoked for El Paso. Um, <laughs> so to get there and have like the course be really cool and just the the competition was really high that night, like everybody was was really on one. Yeah, it was a, it was a cool venue, really fun race, El Paso. Would have thought. What about you, Celine? It's hard to choose just one because it was just kind of awesome that we got to race our bikes at all. But to honor your question, I'll pick one. Okay, I'm gonna go with Winston Salem. I love that course. It's such a cool course. And I think as a team, after racing together all season, we really started to come together. Um, I think we really started to come together in El Paso and then to just really be dialed together, know how each other races, how each other feels. Um, it was, yeah, it was really special to get to do Winston-Salem and have those two days to kind of, yeah, end it on a really positive note. And then, yeah, I mean, that's kind of cheating too, because it's a two-day race, but whatever, I'm sticking to it. <laughs> For me, it was Lake Ellen, the first day that I did at Intelligentsia, which was the second race of the series. It was the first race back for me after I had gotten a concussion at Tulsa. There were a lot of nerves. And for me, I set as a goal just to finish. You know, it's hard to admit as a competitive athlete that your goal is just to to race. That's it. Just to be there, just to be a part of it. And I did it. I accomplished that goal. There were points in times where my heart rate was through you know, I could feel it well above my head. 
sort of thing. You, you know, that feeling of just anxiety on top of exertion. And there were points in times where I was in the race where I was just like, I swear to God, this is the coffee ride earlier this morning. You know, there were, it was just so many different exhilarating moments and feelings and sketchiness and scared and comfort mixed in with confidence and way too much confidence at points in time. But it was just a wonderful experience to get back out there and to have a positive end to a race as opposed to ending with somebody's chain ring tattooed on your upper thigh. By the way, still there. There is still a chain ring tattoo in scar on my upper thigh. So thank you, Tulsa. I loved doing Intelligentsia with all the weirdness that came with it, with having the Project Echelon men there in my house, Carrie Warner, Joe Carpasassi, Eric Hill, Frank Cundiff, Tim Savory, Gigi, uh, you know, David Greff, you know, just having these guys in that house and making fun memories of a childhood house that I've now since sold. Having the first annual Criterium Nation podcast pizza party at Intelligentsia that was a part of that whole experience was wonderful with the with the women from Rally and from the Philly Bike Exchange coming over. There was just so much that was great about that race week. And I can't wait to do it again next year. And I can't wait for those first races to come around again this spring where we start to do crazy stuff again. You know, like I said, uh, I've started watching way too many TikToks. Now all I've got in my head is that stupid song that they have on one of them. I'm going to do some sketchy shit. Duda, duda. Hope I get away with it. Yeah, thank you. That's stuck in your head now. <laughs> but here it is. Here it is. Here's my closing thought for the whole thing. The thing that I am most happy about this year, the thing that I most like this year is you guys. We met both of us, all of us, all three of us. We met in Alan, you and I met, I think in like December, maybe November of last year. Correct. When yeah. you recorded an ad for source endurance. Ha -ha. And I was like, that guy sounds like a cool dude. I want to have him on the show. You know, Celine, I, cold emailed you <laughs> and since then we have recorded episode after episode in increasingly random locations we've met each other in person we've gotten to know each other and become friends and without this sport without this show without this community none of that would have happened and I would have been the poorer for it so I know sappy end of the year popping champagne for New Year's Eve sort of thing. But guys, thank you. Thank you for being a part of this. Thanks for inviting us to be a part of it. Doing this podcast is definitely something that I've really, really appreciated about this, this last year. It's been a lot of fun. Well, let's do it again next year. Okay, guys? Sounds great. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. Today's show was written and produced by Alan Schroeder and Celine Oberholzer and edited by me, Rob Kelly. We are going to be on a break from now until 
March-ish when weather turns a little bit nicer and bike racing, at least on the road, starts coming back. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Criterium Nation for more content and for funny, lighthearted things, hopefully, about the world of Criterium racing. And we'll talk to you again in the spring. So wait till then for more stories from our Criterium Nation. <laughs>